And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story, real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show, presented by RIA Advisors. And happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to The Real Investment Show, Financial Fitness Friday edition. It is an F-full I'm Rich Rosso, Certified Financial Planner, here with Danny Ratliff, Certified Financial Planner. Listen, we need about three hours for all the stuff we want to talk about, so I'm digging, we're going to just commandeer the airwaves. Are we allowed to do that? Like we, a pirate ship and one of those rogue radio ships? We just did. Oh, cool. You're on the air. Listen, I've got a, you know, I've got my ham radio license, right? Yeah. Top of the, the top general license so i can pretty much do it what's your, what's your call sign <laughs> nobody's gonna listen to him <laughs> well, maybe not a whole lot of difference than what we're doing right now so 85 pwo cq 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 uh-huh. look it's just the two of you guys yeah. <laughs> we could do it we could yeah we could do it dan patrick would hurt me but we could do it um so you always wonder about fed pot so today's a big day for news right so we have uh payrolls today, job support coming out, average hourly earnings. I think two important key factors, Danny, obviously, we're going to be looking at is those average average hourly earnings and labor force participation rate. Lance has probably, I'm sure, brought this up. But we have close to 2 million people that just sort of fell away. They're gone uh, from the labor force, which is also part of the reason, I think, why we're seeing such a squeeze. Uh, some retired, some just fell off the rolls. Uh, I was reading about how startups people creating their own businesses has really taken off. You know, this whole redefining of who you are and what you want to do post-pandemic yeah. uh, continues. So obviously this is going to pressure the Fed to make a move, maybe not increase short-term rates yet, but it might prov- may stop or pre- some of their bond buying. I thought uh, Bill Gross, being eloquent in the Financial Times, said it best. Um, He's being kind here, but it makes the point. He goes, even enthusiasts of the Fed's policy must wonder whether hundreds of cryptocurrencies or a boom in special purpose acquisition vehicle specs are the result of continuing financial innovation or the product of cheap and plentiful credit demanded by deficit spending and an accommodating Fed chair. Boy, he's being polite there. Diplomatic. Where, oh, it has nothing to do with the, listen, this financial innovation or finance for the people is not SPACs or cryptocurrencies. No, this is where the rich get richer. Right. I can even argue that maybe cryptocurrencies, especially in some markets, could could possibly be for the greater good, uh, especially maybe in emerging markets. But for the most part, this is financial alchemy. This is, there's, there's nothing here that's benefiting um, society as a whole. So Bob Schiller wrote the great book about finance and the great society, how finance, there are certain financial innovations that really did help people over time and that really pretty much stopped. SPACs is like the top of the, uh, top of the cake. Well, today's donut, National Donut Day. So this, the sprinkles on the donut of financial nothingness, empty calories, 
as these SPACs are called. Um, and um, you're not seeing a lot of performance out of them, but you see a lot of fees being generated for those who provide them. So, uh, but today, again, big day for numbers, economic numbers. Uh, Dow futures down 42, S&P futures sort of flat, NASDAQ futures up 11, 10-year treasury 1.625. Again, 10-year treasury is not buying this whole inflation is here and economic growth is here to stay story. Um, we'll see. Bond market tends to be smarter, but you have to change your views if things do change. There was a time in the early 60s, early to mid 60s, that uh, there was all this talk about how inflation would not be a big deal. And we've had some of the greatest inflation after that uh, through the 70s. Um, so we don't know, Danny. I mean, some inflation is obviously probably here to stay. If companies are raising prices, why would I... Yeah, they're reach, not going to come back and lower them. They're not going to come back and lower them. But some of the supply chain disruptions are going to work themselves out over Correct. the next couple of years. Yeah, but it is, it is interesting to think of, of how the bond market has been reacting, whereas it was, mm -hmm. it was, it, we saw rates increase just on the thought of inflation. Then we actually saw inflation data, and it dropped. And it may be because you know, it was a little bit ahead of itself in you know, the sense that we knew inflation was coming because of looking at year-over-year -year numbers. That's why Lance has talked about deflationary periods in the future, just looking at you know, where we were and where we're going. Mm -hmm. I think that's going, going to be a very big issue, and the bond market seems to take a notice of just that. Now, it doesn't mean they can't go higher. I think the key here is to be nimble. I and mean, you have to be, because to your point, we have never quarantined the healthy before. We've never shut down a viable economy before uh, for a year. So all the after effects... Uh, we don't really know. We, we, we sort of can expect, Danny and I talked about this probably in March, April, May of last year, that we were worried about inflation when the economy opened up. It just makes sense, right? People are going to be pent up, want to do things. Uh, you know, you're seeing this huge increase in how things are moving. However, great article in the Wall Street Journal not too long ago about how even the Biden administration is saying long term, this is economic stagnation. We're, and, and Lance talks about this. And Michael, we are probably looking at 1.8 to 2% GDP after this is all said and done. But there is this honeymoon of we're in this new stage of economic growth. But yet I don't know what supports that. Um, we don't have the underlying principles are the same. I mean, you got to go back to what it was pre-pandemic. Then once the pandic, pandemic conditions over, you go back to what it was. I don't know what changes I don't know, but there's not been some big innovation during the pandemic. That's right. We all sat there and watched Netflix. I keep seeing so. all of these things, these headlines are saying that this is the biggest growth period that we're ever going to see. Yes, yeah. We're still just in the recovery period. We're mm -hmm. not technically in growth yet. I think the bond market would show you if you're in expansion mode, not Correct. recovery mode. So that is, to, to me, would be telling. If you're going to be in expansion mode or even least where we were pre-pandemic, Danny, why, why wouldn't you see the 10-year at like two and a half? Yeah, you would think close so. close to three, right? So that's a big conundrum. So there are going to be a lot of things. And guess what? We're going to change our minds a lot because as the data changes, so does your, your point of view have to change. You've got to be nimble. You can't be sitting with old ways if things are changing. If this is a new, par uh, a new paradigm for inflation, um, and I don't mean hyperinflation. You know, again, I just see this. These, these headlines, this bombastic stuff about, you know, we're going to have 15, 20% inflation. I don't see that. I don't even see the inflation of the 70s. 
Okay. But what I'm saying is we've got to be prepared. Even we raised our estimates for inflation in our planning models. Correct. By half a percent, only because some of the stuff that people are buying every day, because we're seeing consumer goods companies raising prices, those prices are not going to go away, uh, not going to retract. And we're also seeing um, in these numbers that, um, hey, it, it might not change. Well, that um, might not. The Atlanta Fed does great job with CPI. Correct. Their sticky price CPI has really skyrocketed, and those sticky prices are the ones that stay around. So well, that's why we increased and, it. And keep in mind, some inflation is not bad. So everybody that's keeps right. worrying about this hyperinflation, but inflation is good, especially if we see wage growth. That's now, correct. That's what I'm interested to see is what happens when all the stimulus funds, they fall off the cliff. What happens then? Where do we see inflation go? So we'll be right back after this quick break. You're listening to The Real Investment Show with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at Real Invest. InvestmentAdvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon. RealInvestmentAdvice.com. The Real Investment Show. I'm going to switch gears on Danny, but he always knows I I do this. Because one of the things that we talked about months ago was maybe how maybe people's habits have changed with their finances due to the COVID, Mm -hmm. right? And Northwestern came out with a planning and progress study, uh, and it looked at attitudes and behaviors about money and financial decision-making post-COVID or how how they've experienced it through COVID. Uh, And this was 2,000 adults in the United States, and it looked at this financial discipline and security. And what it found that it found that Americans said their financial discipline improved and that many Americans plan to continue these financial improvements in the wake of uh, where we are now. So that during the pandemic, financial discipline improved. 32% said that it has. That was, that's pretty good. Um, it also looked at... Um, uh, 32% said those who surveyed said that their, for, you know, their financial discipline got better. 45% said they're spending less. Well, I sort of blew, we sort of think might be blowing that one out of the water. You know, there's a lot of people that were sitting a lot of money in savings accounts, you know, checking mm-hmm. accounts. They didn't do anything last year. So as Americans, we've got to drain that. Right? We've got to drain that because that's what we do. We can't keep any cash. So that's why we need a bill that's going to allow penalty-free withdrawals from your 401k. Because we need yet another 
leakage, another hole in the dam for tapping your retirement savings. Just thus another reason we need to find benefit or pension plans. So this, this distribution data is going to be limited to vested amounts over a thousand. Maximum withdrawal is a thousand. So again, there are a lot of financial services firms, advocacy, advocacy groups that are supporting this bill, right? That, hey, if you have an emergency, you could take a thousand bucks out of your, 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 your retirement account. Okay, you have to replenish this withdrawal amount before an additional emergency distribution is made. So once I take the thousand, I, I can't take another unless I put it back. But this just goes back to, why am I putting money in my retirement account if I think I'm going to need it for an emergency? Why don't I just set up an emergency reserve? You know, we have this whole hierarchy of saving, right? Correct. Well, it goes back to the basics. The basics. And we, we, like, we, we seem to like remold the basics that, you know, this is such a great thing. Oh, family emergency hits. First of all, what's the $1,000? This pandemic, on average, people took out at least ten. Okay, so this one thousand dollars, you're not giving, you're not doing me any favors uh, by allowing me to do this. No. Um, so it's bad. This is bad. now. Keep in mind, this bill is backed by the American Retirement Association, Nationwide Retirement Solutions, LPL, State Street, the American Benefits Council, and the ERISA Industry Committee. So there, so, everybody is all hopping and so happy data, and excited though, about this. What, what data are they looking at to suggest that this is a good idea? We know that the more freedom people have within these plans, the more they are going to treat it like it's a piggy bank, right? Uh-huh. Versus it being actual a full retirement fund. So at what point do these organizations step up and say, hey, maybe this isn't the purposes these funds were intended for? This is how disconnected. They, yes, agree. Brian Graff, he's the American... Um, He's the ARA's executive director. He goes, I hear all the time from Coloradans who get hit with an unexpected car repair. They can't afford and then lose their job because they can't make it to work. Millions of families are trapped in this cycle of economic insecurity. One emergency away from everything falling apart. True. Yeah, I don't doubt that for one bit. I doubt that. But why is accessing my retirement account the solution? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most of those people probably don't have a retirement account. Or if they do, it is extremely small. Or it's not what they're putting in. It's, a, it's something the employer's doing. And maybe that portion may not even be vested. So for somebody like that in that position to come out and say, you know, that's a great, you know, it's a great clip, right? We all know that it is, it is true, though. The, the statement is true. Correct. It is. Yeah. But if, if we want to go even further into what this bill intends... It doesn't. You missed the mark. Absolutely. It just shows you how disconnected, I mean, many groups are from people's day-to-day because the whole solution is to tap your retirement accounts for everything. And to your point, how much are people putting into them anyway? Right? So it's financial literacy. What's the core of this problem? People, right, people can't raise 500 bucks for an emergency, but they've told to sock everything they have in a retirement account as opposed to having liquidity first. You know, it, it, it's, it's, again, it's another, it's another break in the argument that tax-deferred accounts are the best thing since sliced bread. Well, not for everybody. Listen, you want to start a business? 
You want to start a business because this happened to me. You want to start a business or go or go out on your own or do something more entrepreneurial and all your money sitting in a 401k and You're you trouble. then need to tap that money and be taxed and penalized for it. All right. If you're going to work in a corporation your entire life in a cubicle, it works. If you're going to go out there and try to do something else, it's probably not. All right. Um, I just am not a big fan of 401ks. And the more they allow leakage in from these things, the worse they are. Why don't you just set up a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA and then you could tap it? I mean, well, we know there are groups that are saying, hey, use the Roth because it could be a great emergency reserve. Because then again, we're muddying the emergency reserve and the retirement long-term savings again, the long-term investment accounts. Um this, this goes back way further than this. It goes what? back to financial literacy, number one. But number two, mm-hmm. look at all those organizations you mentioned, each one of them nationwide, all these large organizations that what's their job? Their job is to gather and collect money in retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to tell you to go set up that emergency reserve. <laughs> and they also know that most of you guys out there can't touch it. So, you know, it's it's a nice way. It's a nice sound bite and it sounds warm and fuzzy. Correct. It's a Snuggie that doesn't mean anything. We have so many financial snuggies out there that don't it's a really with holes in it. Long term. Yeah. Long term. Keep you warm. Um, it's a bit crazy. Um, hey, so we're going to have another lunch and learn coming up on Thursday, June 24th, right before I go to Miami, because I'm one of those people that are sitting with money in their accounts and has got to go. Um, no, really, because I'm burned out. Um, so this <laughs> it's about <laughs> Tell it how it is, Rich. Hey, look, Please. Yeah. Well, when, when does your day end? Okay. Long-term care. Exactly. Don't answer that. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Exactly. <laughs> Planning for long-term care. How to manage expenses that can make or break your retirement. Realistic approaches to long-term care. Listen, John Penn, John Penn works for us. John Penn's a great guy. He's also a certified financial planner, um, as he also works with clients. And he got a great question from someone who lives in Washington that said that, hey, the state is going to start charging payroll tax for a long-term care solution unless you're able to purchase private insurance. And I went, huh, let me read into this. How many states are going to have to look at taxes, raise taxes to provide some form of long-term care benefit if people are not doing it well, themselves. They are because Medicaid's covered by the states. Uh-huh. And that and we know where states are going as far as money, right? So they're going to say, "Listen, we're going to raise payroll taxes and we're going to isolate out about 36,000, I think, in this long-term care benefit that you're able go, that you're going to be able to." I have no details on this everybody. I'm doing more research because I'm fascinated by this because Danny and I've always talked about something's going to have to change. There's going to have to be some sort of social safety net that's going to happen for long-term care, whether it's an adjunct to Medicare, uh, or f- f- Medicare Advantage, something's going to happen. And this is one of the first I've seen where it could be helpful, Danny, because I wouldn't want the state doing it for me. It could get people off their butts to examine their situation better. Because what the government is saying is if you don't get it on your own, we're raising your pay, we're, we're doing this. So this might force people to actually look at the decision and say, hmm, I never really thought about it. Um, that's one positive I can see from it. I don't know any other positives. I don't know what kind of benefits you get from this. I would rather go out and get my own insurance or at least plan for it. 
So the thing is, so so John's question to me was, well, I mean, what what would he do? Like, how much? How do you know? I don't know how much he would need. Yeah. You wouldn't know. You have to have a full financial plan. You just can't go out there and you know knock on your insurance person's door and go, hey, I want long term care because you're going to get the best. You're going to get. You're going to. They're going to do you, your spouse, you know, they're going to just sell you as much as possible. Well, there's a hierarchy to this. You might need, you may not need full coverage. Listen, this stuff is expensive. And the, the, and the older you are, the more expensive it is. And the underwriting for this stuff could be draconian. So the point is, before you figure out, hey, you know, I think I need it or I need to make a decision on it, you better know. Who needs it in the family, you or your spouse? How much can you liquidate assets? There's a hierarchy before you get to the actual number of this is the specific dollar amount per day I need for this many years in long-term care. You just don't go out there and buy long-term care. You just don't go out there and purchase life insurance. You need to know how much? Well, it's not just some formula that you can run at the top of your head either. No, it there's isn't. so many variables here. Especially for long-term care. You know, they have all these stuff about life insurance, like, you know, average life, mm-hmm. you know, cap. You know, you, you can sort of maybe cobble that together. Long-term care, forget it. There is no way I could figure well, it out. Well, but here's what happens. Many people say, well, you're going to need $7,000 every month. Here's exactly <laughs> what you need. But yet they don't ever count the Social Security. They don't count Mm-mm. other pensions, assets, things of that nature. They just say, well, okay, great. Sign me up. And then I'm going to pay this huge premium. Correct. And I'm probably going to get frustrated and not pay it for long. And I'm going to have all these bells and whistles. So listen, attend this long-term care lunch and learn Thursday, June 24th, 12 p.m. Live, virtual, free Zoom meeting. Sign up at realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. show you could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long-term care in your lifetime are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than seventy six hundred dollars a month our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement join richard rosso and danny ratliff for the basics of long-term care long-term care register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care june 24th at noon real investmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Sometimes your financial partner has to put him or herself in the middle of some messy things. Um, even relationships. I'm good at breaking them up. Um, because I don't care. I, I, you know what I, what I care about? I care about the client making the right decision. So I'm going to give you an example, Danny. I want to see how you would handle this. Wonderful client of mine, young woman. After divorce, she had to really start over. 
she she I will tell you she she I mean she got some divorce savings but she was very respectful of that did the right things but has been out of the workforce went back to work um, moved from a job not too good you know build up her skills into a really nice job managed you know we talked through the pandemic she kept her job in oil and gas because I was very concerned big buffer for emergency reserve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she's doing all the right things. We went through what she's doing for her kids and all that, really good head on her shoulders. And she's got a boyfriend. And uh, so, but boyfriend lasts three years or so. And, um, you know, he works for a company and he says, hey, listen, you know, my company's offering these promissory notes and they're going to pay you X percent a year. And uh, she sends me the document and I look at it and I'm like, well, there's nothing wrong with this. This is not a publicly traded company. I've invested in, promissory notes from time to time. I've made money. I've lost money, right? So we got to think about is $25,000 that you want to put into this. Are you going to make money or not? Uh, If you can lose it, you lose it. Um, You know, it's conversion to stock after the fact. You know, in other words, she, her financial situation was enough to handle the risk. Correct. Because this is illiquid and it pays, I don't know, it's five, 6% a year for a couple of years convert to equity. So, but as we started to talk about this, you know, the risk of it, we got more into the details that, well, you know, by the way, wonderful relationship. They seem like very happy, but it's, it's her boyfriend that's got the promissory note. In other words, Mm -hmm. he's going to have to give her the cash. She's going to have to give him the cash. He buys the promissory note. Hmm. Because only certain people can buy it. So in other words, it's not going to be in her name. Yep. She's giving it to him. So here's a couple of things I said. You know, she goes, well, he, you know, he wants me to change my beneficiaries because, you know, he's willing to do the same and we're all going to merge everything. And I'm like, we're well, not married. We're not merging anything. We're not going to take your kids off your IRA. But also important is, do you want to give money to, even though I might love somebody, do I want to give them, so Danny, you and I are in a relationship, partnership, and I give you 25000 I trust you with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you invested in your name, and it's I just trusting you. Yeah. I'm just trusting you. I'm giving you twenty five thousand, and I'm trusting you to just go ahead and it's in your name now to pay me and give me my money back. That's a big leap of faith. And I said, what happens to your relationship if this goes bust? That's right. Does the relationship go bust? So I don't think my advice was favorable to the relationship, but I think it was favorable to her as a client to protect herself and knowing that I also have a daughter and what would I have said to her and what would I say to my girlfriend at the same time? I would give them the same exact advice I gave her. No, we're not taking the the children off your IRA, right? This is your money to them. No, we're not. I wouldn't recommend you giving someone else 25,000 to invest in their name when you, first of all, and then there's a gift tax situation. Not that you're going to be gift taxed, but you might have to file a gift tax return because mm-hmm. you are giving the money. In other words, it just didn't sit right with me. What do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on? Well, I think this? two things. One, I mean, if, if you were going to do something like that, you do need some type of formal agreement. Yeah, um, absolutely. Done. You need, you need a contract. Mm-hmm. But number two, I think that 
you know, I'm concerned. And we talked about that. Yeah, similar yeah. concerns that you have in the sense of what happens if it goes bust or something goes wrong. What does that do to the relationship? But what happens if the relationship goes bust? And then on the other side of this, what if he doesn't want to give you the money back? He what says, if, no, you, if, you owe me money because of X, Y, Z, or uh, nope, this was a gift. I mean, there's an argument that can be made on both sides here. That's right. And it, it's probably not in the favor of the lender in this aspect. What if the dude dies? Yep. Well, Heaven forbid. Well, but that's why they would change you know? beneficiaries. But I have a friend loaned her boyfriend or live-in boyfriend $11,000 so that they could buy a house together. Not married. He, he died. died. He died. She had to move out of the house because huh? the family sold the house. Yeah, and they're like, you know, that's yeah. your arrangement. She's out in the cold. Mm. And even then, this whole formal agreement, who knows? All I knew is my gut told me, regardless of how the relationship is, and I don't think it's, I think it's a really good relationship. I would not put my significant other, nor would I put my daughter in that situation. And I had to look at it as what's best for her, because this is the kind of advice I would give anybody in my family. Because when you work with an advisor, you, you should be family. You should be family to that advisor. I, I know it sounds corny, but I grew up in a family that didn't get along. My family was not blood. My family were people around me um, uh, that made, an, made a difference in my life. They were family, um, which is not, you know, some people have different situations. So to me, we look at it this way and we have to protect. Sometimes we have to give a very tough perspective to clients or be in the middle. How many times have you been in the middle of people that are arguing over assets because maybe mom or dad have to be taken care of and one doesn't want to do this and one does and they need you need to actually forge the conversation sometimes you're really put in these precarious situations but if as a fiduciary that's the risk you take the risk you take is you might lose the client but you're doing the right thing you know it happens more often than people think and i actually enjoy these conversations because number mm -hmm. one i think it's a it is a um, it's a great thing when clients actually trust you that much to want to have these conversations with you mm -hmm. because it, it's outside of the scope of just investments. And so a really good advisor is not just going to talk about, oh, stocks, bonds, you know, just the investment aspect of things, but the big picture and how this impacts you and your family. And, you know, I think over the years, we've gained a lot of experience in this. And you and I joked years ago that the financial advisory role was changing significantly to be more like a life coach in many ways. And I think it has, and it's it's really benefited the industry, I think it's made advisors sharpen their skills, but it's benefited the clients as well. And I think that's why a lot of advisors went out correct. on their own. Like when you, we move from brokerage, yep, where you're pretty much not that. You try to be, but that's going to work. You're beholden to the company. You are. You're not going to be beholden to the client. So one way to do that is you're seeing a lot more advisors going to be fiduciaries. So, yep. No, that's exactly right. So I think that's a very big thing. And, and you know what? I'm honored when somebody comes and asks those types mm -hmm. of questions because, you know, that solidifies the relationship. That means that, mm -hmm. you know, we're doing something right. And so I, we welcome those. If you guys have questions, need help, I mean, we're certainly there. Um, some days, you know, we've got to feel like we should maybe be more of a, a psychiatrist than an advisor at some point or marriage counselors, but it's Always. all good. Um, you know, Lance brought up a good point. So uh -huh. guys, you can go to the YouTube channel, check it out. Lance does comment from time to time. He's a troublemaker. Um, he's That's had a bit of coffee is. this he's morning. He's a troll troublemaker. But, but he, did, he did make a good point, Rich. He said what? that someone raising capital on promissory notes, it's because they can't qualify to borrow from a bank. That's right. 
He says, look out for roaches in the kitchen. No, and that is that is a great point because when I looked at the company, it really is franchise-based company, can't get financials on it, and that's exactly, Lance did some, for once, he's not being a troll. Thank you, Lance. Uh, <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. oh, I got a squiggly man. line chart for him. Um, he's selling new charts. Yeah? Yeah, he said you should go check it out. He says they're going to be invisible. I guess. I've got one. I got one with a finger. You pick the one. Um, So um, (laughs) this is all out of love, everybody. You you should know. Like, what's the over under on how many times I'm going to shake my head at at Rich each every hour? (laughs) We are one big family. Oh man, I love it. I know who's really shaking his head right now, Connie. So, um, all right. So, a couple things we want to talk about is. as we come to the next, almost coming to the next break, uh, you're seeing more and more individuals waiting, which is great, Danny, to take Social Security. This is another one we're going to get a troll response to. Um, the, I mean, this is a great study because the study is showing is that, hey, people are starting to realize, Danny, that people need more guaranteed income and variable assets may not provide everything that's needed for a lifetime or two lifetimes. So people are now actually taking their time to make the decision. And Social Security, actually, I'm going to give them credit. The association has done a really good job outlining statements better to show taking it early, the ramifications, taking Social Security full retirement age, taking Social Security at age 70. So this delaying of social security and maybe taking money from your IRA first. This is advice that I started in 2003. This is when I lost clients, Danny, because when I was telling them when all they hear is take social security early and put it in the market, I said, no, I think the cycle's going to change here. So I'm going to want you to wait to take social security. People thought it was really outrageous that why wouldn't I let my IRA sit and grow tax deferred? Like, you don't know what you're talking about. So I just remember in 2003 losing clients when I started changing this. But now there's this talk about how do you build a bridge to Social Security? In other words, hey, I'm retiring at 65, 67 years old, and I got my IRA, and I should take Social Security and let my IRA grow. It's the actual opposite. Because the longer a person waits to begin Social Security, the more they're going to get each month, right? Some, in some cases, your income will be 76% higher if you wait until age 70 to claim Social Security benefits. And that doesn't even include your spouse, who will probably outlive you if it's a female who outlive us. So we'll talk a little bit about this when we get back on the other side of the break. Last segment of Financial Fitness Friday on The Real Investment Show. We'll be right back. You're 
listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to The Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here at the Richard Rosso, Certified Financial Planners. So last segment talked a little bit about Social Security and how people are actually more inclined to delay it and studies are actually showing that there's a big benefit in doing so. Whereas, you know, Rich was talking about back in the early 2000s, you know, was being chastised essentially for telling people exactly this because people were saying, you know what, I need to let my funds grow. I need to go ahead and take these, uh, the Social Security money, get as much as I can. And, you know, we find that a lot of times when people are making these early, um, they're starting Social Security early. It's generally an emotional thing. We want to get as much as we can out of it. You know, from time to time, you know, we do see that sometimes it's necessity and that's okay. But, you know, we're talking about how do you build a bridge to Social Security if you are retiring early and you want to continue to delay? You know, I think that's a big thing. You know, there's so many caveats that people don't that, that we forget about. And I think that there's not enough information out. You know, for instance, if you take Social Security before full retirement age, how you're actually going, you could have benefits withheld if you make too much money. That's right. You know, that's a big thing. You know, that's a big surprise for many people thinking, oh, yeah, I've got I've got Social Security coming in. But they also maybe have deferred comp. Maybe they have they're taking money out of IRAs or taking money from different places. And it ends up impacting them negatively. It's um, to your point, it's more complicated than people think taking Social Security at 62, especially when still working, Um, as opposed to their people. Hey. We talk to people that just need the money or yeah. they're just say, you know, they're they're not able to 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 do the work and they're trapped. So we have to do this. Um, that's OK. If the if, I mean, we don't want to. But if we have to, you know, listen, if it's rent or food on the table, we got to make a decision. That's OK. But most people will have the decision to do what we would say to do. This is do pre-retirement prep. Right. When we do our retirement lane workshops. We're going to start doing those in person again, which I'm very excited about. When we start doing these again, we talk about this retirement preparation, right? Maybe putting more money into Roth before you retire, right? So maybe you would tap that uh, after tax money. Um, Building more outside cash, right? Um, Having the ability to maybe even before you hit 72 years old and have to take um, your uh, required minimum distribution, draw down the IRA because at least you have the decision to tax time it versus the government telling you exactly what to do. Now, I'll tell you, the Secure Act 2.0 might be looking to extend this out. And I'll tell you, it's not as easy as you think. They want to maybe extend out retirement uh, required minimum distributions to age 75, but it's sort of a process. They can't make it easy. So the point is, if you've been told your entire life ad nauseum to put all your money in pre-tax accounts, well, you have no diversification of accounts, which means that we might need to use your IRA to bridge you over to Social Security. Now, 
maybe you have an illness. Maybe you do living2100.com and it shows that your life expectancy is not going to be what it is. But you also have to consider the life expectancy of a spouse. So you can do it. Now, there's been several, the Boston College Center for Retirement Research, which, who I, which I follow, and it's, a very, it's really one of the best think tanks for retirement, talks about, hey, you can look at annuitizing some of your retirement assets. And, you know, the word annuity is not, is, you know, sort of not as bad anymore as what people think because they understand it's income for life. You can look at different types of annuities to do it, right? Uh, qualified longevity annuity contracts, single premium media annuities. These are all private pensions, I call them. They're, they're a way for you to create guaranteed income on your own in addition. I had to laugh at, you know, I know what you're referring to. And it also says you could build a CD or bond ladder. <laughs> Wait a second. No, you can't. No, not, not unless you earn a anything. ton of money. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not going to work. Now, if rates would cooperate, maybe you could, but no. Now, one way to do it is look at your, uh, which is pretty, pretty neat, is say, hey, maybe I look at the retirement tax table. I look at the required minimum distribution tables and I use that formula to start pulling out of my IRA. In other words, I do my own RMD before I hit age, before I hit age 70, right? I do it on my own. I use the tables. I would rather use the tax rate method to say where I am in the tax bracket, expand it out. We have the 22, 24% marginal rates. I can max those out. Those are pretty fat. Correct. Right. Um, uh, tax, marginal tax rates where I could take the money out and either one, use it to live, but also maybe take some of the money and place it into Roth conversion. So we're big fans of actually bridging to Social Security and coming up with methods to draw down on the IRA, which is a workable strategy. We also have a lot of, of clients that say, hey, I'm going to retire, but guess what? I'm still bringing in cash. Like I'm full retirement age, but I'm going to go work this part-time job. I'm going to be a consultant. So it's not just bridging it through taking money out of the IRA. It's also income coming in from people that still want to be social, productive, and get out there and do something. They just want to do something more that they love, apply their skills to something different. And heck, people say, well, listen, I'm only going to make, you know, maybe 25000 20000 a year. We're like, listen, this helps. This is great. Forget the social socialization benefit. It's, it, believe me, every income, any income you bring in in retirement is important. Income is the lifeblood of retirement. Yeah, you want some growth, but income is the word. Greece is the word too. But you know right, what else right, that right? does? You know, not not just the social socialization yeah. aspect or the paycheck aspect is that you're working, so you're probably spending less. Yeah, you know, you don't have as much time to go out and do the and do you're those not additional saving things. money either. Saving is an expense. Yeah, I mean, you're not saving 10, 15, 20 percent of your salary anymore either. So to your point, Danny, it covers a lot more than you think. Well, we find the studies show that working just a little bit longer helps the plan significantly, even by one month. Um, so extending that out is not a bad thing. Now, look, you can do a couple things, you know, right now to prepare for that and be ready to bridge that gap. You can work, you know, you can work more, um, save more, or you can spend less, right? In Lance's aspect, he's just got to work more. Um, I've got a new term for this. You ready? What is it? Retirement infrastructure. Building the bridge. Hey, infrastructure is everything today, so 
We're going to help you build the retirement infrastructure. Listen, to, uh, for example, I have, say, for example, I have 48 months until I take where my Social Security. If I need, say, an extra $100,000 close to that, I take $2,000 a month out of my savings. That's fine. So retirement infrastructure can work. But the most important concept here is you might feel a little, you might squirm a little bit in your seat because we're telling you to take money out of your IRA when your broker is telling you, oh, let that sit because tax defer is like the best thing in the world. I mean, it like it's even better than having a kid. It's like, it's like the best thing. It's, you know, it's like nirvana, you know, like this, this, this love and engagement with tax deferral can sometimes bite you in the butt later on. So yep. the thought process is what a, we're trying to get a, get you to understand the product you use, the method you use, we can help you with that. Your advisor can help you with that. It's the concept of waiting to take social security and have a more secure financial life from a guaranteed income. And I'll tell you why I think this is also more relevant. And Danny, I always talk about, hey, what if you get a headwind to return? Yeah, we're getting great returns. You know, every year you're getting 10, 20% in the market. This is great. This is going to continue like forever. Like talk to a 21-year-old. They'll tell you, listen, you know, pound, pound puppies and, you know, uh, mylittlepony.com and all this is going to be great. You know, we're going to make all this money, right? Until it stops. You know, Elon Musk sends out a tweet yesterday or today being cryptic about Bitcoin and you're off, right, today. So the point is you have to understand that uh, you can do this and take money from the IRA and it's not all this tax deferral. And we think that over the next 10, 12 years that there's going to be a headwind to returns, which means you're going to get low returns for stocks, low returns for bonds, so if I could take more of the burden away from those variable assets to provide my income and use guaranteed income products, that could really help the longevity of my portfolio overall. Now, some of you have pensions. That's great. I'm jealous of each and everyone I meet with. It's really tough, Danny, because I'm like, I want to, I just, I want, I'm so mad you have a pension. I don't, no, <laughs> I'm so jealous. Um, how many people have pensions? Very few. This but there's state. a way you have to create your own sometimes, depending upon longevity. And we know what longevity risk is, especially for people that are higher income. Longevity is the issue. And helping your money live as long as you do is a challenge. So sometimes you need to supplement those variable assets with income you can't outlive and create your own pension. Taking money out of your IRA, set amount every month until you hit age 70, it could be a way to do it. Is Lance trolling again? Everybody's no, trolling. no. Right. Lance is all good. <laughs> He's good for now. He's got to work until my age 96. His plan says age 96, he can retire. That's what his plan says. Oh, man, it's funny. All of y'all are going to have to work a lot longer because I'm the youngest guy here. So um, y- y'all all think you're retiring. Well, mentally, you're, <laughs> you're the oldest you're guy wrong. here. <laughs> that may be true. That may be true. But, you know, this, this presents another good argument, yeah. Rich, on why we should look at these distributions. And, in mm-hmm. in, you know, it's not just about, you know, how you distribute funds, because most people don't understand where to talk, you know, how to even discuss that. But even further, you know, the accumulation phase is so important. And it, it's so easy for an advisor or somebody to say, you know what, max the 401k, I'll max the IRA, I'll go here. 
and they don't ever think outside the box to say, hey, here's some other strategies to think, to start thinking further down the road. So you do have more flexibility. We don't know what the future holds from tax perspective, from, you know, political aspects of things, but we do know we want flexibility. And this is one way to do so. But thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate y'all. Go to the YouTube channel. If you missed something, you can always see uh, Lance on there on Friday mornings, uh, The Real Investment Show. You're listening to The Real Investment uh, Show right now, live. And uh, go to realinvestmentadvice.com. Sign up for the Lunch and Learn Long-Term Care. We'd love to see you guys out there on June 24th. Y'all have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.